Hi, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. The Arizona Equals Conversation is a podcast where we talk with LGBTQ plus people from across Arizona about their communities and their history in the state. Today on the podcast, I talk with Gael Esposito. Gael is a partner at Creosote Partners, a progressive lobbying firm here in Arizona. I've been lucky enough to work with her at the Capitol quite a bit this year, and it was great to get a chance to learn a little bit more about her in this conversation. We talk about growing up in South Tempe and the changes that the semiconductor industry brought to the area. That's an experience that's actually shaped both of our lives, and so it was really interesting for me to talk about how that's influenced both of our pathways into politics and local organizing. As a reminder, we're always looking for new guests to interview on the Arizona Equals Conversation. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can sign up today at equalityarizona.org stories. And now I'll let Gael introduce herself and get the conversation started. Hi, I'm uh, Gael Esposito. I work in progressive advocacy at the state capitol, and I'm an Arizona native, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Well, so when we were talking last time, I think I found out that you grew up in the same part of town I grew up in. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Okay. Both grew up in the East Valley. East Valley, kind <laughs> of like South Tempe, Corona del Sol area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on the border between Chandler and Tempe, like literally on it, uh, Ray Road was the dividing line where I lived and my house was right backed up to Ray Road, so. Nice, you know, yeah, that's that's exactly where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to another guest on the podcast about um, living there, he lives there now, and he was describing how if he crosses over into Ahwatukee, it's like the whole culture changes, yeah. or from Tempe to Chandler. Um, I think that was pretty similar at the time. I mean, but partly, like when I was growing up, I think you're a little older than me. Um, but don't remind me. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but even at the time, um, there kind of wasn't a lot of Chandler. Yeah. Honestly, the Chandler Mall didn't exist for a while, mm-hmm. so I think Ahwatukee and Tempe were more of the actual place. Um, what was your experience like growing up in that area? Yeah, yeah. You know, I definitely remember a time uh, when there were more cornfields than condos uh, yeah. around where I grew up, which is so strange to, to think right. about now. Um, it's it's changed so much. I think you're right, too. There are uh, really interesting cultural differences just a few streets over. One of my friends describes the area like south of the 60, west of the 10, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, east of Arizona Avenue or the 87 yeah. to the 202 as the box. And it's like its own self-contained, like different culture from North Tempe yeah. or, or like uh, 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 East Chandler um, and different for sure from Ahwatukee. Uh, and I think that's really true. It's a, it's its own yeah. little area. And a lot of folks uh, involved in progressive politics, especially, but both sides have come out of, of that community. Um, and I think a lot of it is just because it, we saw a lot of change. We, it was 
you know, uh, a place that got increasingly diverse with, you know, a, a lot of unique businesses and uh, uh, not always things to do, but uh, increasingly <laughs> uh, in interesting ways to entertain oneself. And so I think, you know, it, it really did, in a way that sometimes doesn't happen often in Arizona, allow us to develop a, a real sense of community. What was that like for you? I mean, that's, I think, something I've, I've heard other people talk about. That was kind of my experience, yeah. too. That's the whole kind of boundaries of my childhood, yeah. honestly. <laughs> um, I remember when they put the 101 right through there. Mm -hmm. that, that definitely changed things, too. Mm -hmm. um, you got into politics pretty early on in life, right? I did, yeah. yeah. I got involved in high school, um, really because of education issues, uh, as you might imagine, that made me super popular. Um, but I did have my uh, group of nerd friends who all are, are still involved too. Uh, That's great. Very uh, interesting there that we've all uh, stayed here and, and kept going. Are you still in touch? Do you work together? Oh, yeah, yeah. Very. Uh, actually, one of them is married to uh, my business partner, Marilyn. So, oh, nice. yeah. Uh, small, smaller and smaller world. Every <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, still some of my best friends still which i i know is not super common that you know people stay in touch with folks from high school but yeah i i think that's a testament to you know um not just the values we share but like our, our ability to be there for one another through it all so you know uh yeah. it's it's made us grow stronger and yeah i, I got uh, because of uh one of them his name's uh joaquin uh because of him I really started to get involved, um, you know, uh, education and immigration issues. You know, that uh, was during the time of some of the, the most, you know, large-scale uh, immigration reform uh, protests that happened. Right. Um, you know. Like around SB 1070? Uh, before, before, you know, they, this okay. was uh, during the, the first big push during the Bush administration for immigration re reform around uh, 2006. Okay. Um, and, you know, uh, we were seeing a lot of uh, the first start of uh, anti-immigrant ballot measures, you know, so got involved with uh, um, well, the Valley Interfaith Project back then, uh, um, you know, doing campaigning stuff, uh, you know, did a few local races and uh, John Kerry's presidential campaign stuff in, in Arizona. I still have the T-shirt from that somehow. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, it... it just went from there um and actually you know I, I did campaign work through then and then it all culminated uh in doing the signature collection effort for the recall pierce campaign uh, so oh yeah that was a big deal yeah and a really successful campaign too. yeah yeah um surprisingly uh you know nobody uh really had our back then kind of uh i mean he point. was kind of like a kingmaker i don't think anyone expected that to work as well as it did. Oh no, it was it was definitely a long. I mean, he was the state senate president. He had access to a whole bunch of lobbyist dollars. Even the ones that hated him, you know, yeah. uh, uh, were on his side because of the power he held. Um, you know, but we realized the math was there that you know in the time frame it was very doable to get the number of signatures we need. You know, it was a West Mesa district had really low turnout. Um, in the 2010 election uh, that made it so that the threshold uh, to get the recall signatures was uh, doable within the time frame. Um, you know, I got out of Dodge for a little bit after after doing that. Needed health care and also, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it's tough 
uh, you know, taking on the state Senate president and then trying to look for work in, <laughs> <laughs> in politics. But, you know, went to Massachusetts for a year on a grant funded position before I came back. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. What influenced your decision to come back to Arizona? Um, I had always really wanted to be involved in education policy. I, I alluded to that earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I had worked on a couple of state superintendent races, um, and you know, it, it was one of the issues that really motivated me to begin with. And there was an opportunity then to work with the Arizona School Boards Association that my friend had shared with me. Um, it was just a, a really exciting and perfect opportunity for what I wanted to do and the skill set I wanted to develop, uh, and I was lucky enough to get the job. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. You've mentioned that a couple times now, that education policy was really the driving thing, mm-hmm. and it's something that really motivated you while you were in school. Is mm-hmm. it something that was informed by your school experience? I, yeah, I think um, at that time it was – the rise of the Ames test, right? The first high-stakes testing. uh, You know, my class was the first graduating class that had to pass it to graduate. You saw a a shift um, in resources, right? We were were seeing, uh, that was the first time we started to see some uh, increased expenditures uh, in education. Um, uh, But even then, you know, it was really falling behind the needs, you know, in the growth, right. uh, and you were seeing it um, be diverted, you know, uh, uh, away from students who needed it most, from unique programs. Uh, and so all that uh, got me really interested in how does this work? How do these decisions get made? How can we change it? Um, and uh, I'm still interested in that today. <laughs> yeah. I think that kids in school don't really get enough say over the policies that affect them. And it's been, I think, kind of encouraging to see kids get really involved in self-advocacy at a political level Absolutely. Um, recently. But I mean, I guess that's just an ongoing thing. That's kind of where you started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I do see more and more of it uh, each year, especially, you know, as folks feel more disconnected from that decision-making process and, like, they yeah. have less of a voice. Um, you know, uh, uh, more and more students get connected to it, and I think that's great. I, I think it's uh, uh, going to be very interesting to see where that goes as Arizona becomes more and more of a, a choice-driven state mm-hmm. um, and how that impacts that dynamic. Um, but I think right now what we've seen is that uh, you know, um, students are getting more involved because they're frustrated by that disconnect. Yeah. What was the culture of your school like? W- was it something that encouraged mm-hmm. that kind of advocacy? Was it something that had space for you know, progressive or queer kids trying to do that work? Um, I think I was lucky in that I had quite a few teachers who were willing to encourage it. Um, you know, uh, we had what we called CompGov, uh, the We the People, you know, program. That was uh, something that uh, uh, helped, you know, connect nerdy kids together uh, on uh, uh, government and how to, you know, advocate on the process. And also, you know, just generally uh, uh, focusing on studying Constitution, American history, et cetera. Um, and then we uh, had a really robust series of clubs that, uh, in a really big club culture, that 
uh, allowed that. You know, in my school, uh, not only had political-based uh, clubs, you know, um, uh, we had GSAs back, you know, in the early days there. So, you know, I think there really was a, a very nurturing environment um, because of a few of the teachers there, for sure. That's great. Yeah. Working with schools after that, like with the school board association mm-hmm. job, were you able to see what that was like kind of across the state? Is that something that you think is still there for kids or is that something that's kind of rare? I, I That's a great question. Um, I think so much of it when I started at the school board's association was after, you know, the the giant cuts uh, of the Great yeah. Recession, you know, and the the purge of capacity that came along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you especially then did see a, a, a lot less um, resources for extracurricular uh, uh, programs. I did uh, still stay involved. You know, I, interestingly, folks I knew ended up becoming teachers at Corona doing that same uh, CompGov We the People program. Um, so I would help out as like a practice judge and things like that, and oh, got to got so to you, see. So you stayed involved in the school. Yeah, yeah, and stayed involved trying to uh, help those teachers and and those kids. And you know, I, I saw that some of it still existed, but you know, also uh, um, Corona and, and those schools are better resource than a lot of others. And so yeah. seeing that disparity uh, was important. And you know, now I think we're seeing uh, a lot of schools shy away from. Uh, clubs overall just to avoid controversies or whatever other, you know, uh, uh, headaches that they think may may come uh, and, you know, then end up violating students' rights about it, as they tend to do. Right. <laughs> and I think that those kind of um, self-directed things, like clubs or sometimes it can be a class, are often some of the best parts of going to school. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think kids need that, right? Um, you need that community students who may not be able to find that at home especially need uh, some sort of, of outlet there and some sort of connection. Um, and especially as we get, you know, driven more and more online, it's it, that interpersonal connection becomes much more important. <laughs> it's difficult. And yeah. I think that's something with work, too. Mm-hmm. Um, people not having office connections and ability to form those kind of long-term uh, colleague collegiate relationships, uh, which I think is something that has been an important part of your career, just from what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. After the school board association job, uh, where did you go from there? Uh, From there, for about a year and a half, I worked with uh, an education advocacy organization called Expect More Arizona as their director of policy and programs. They're now Education Forward. Um, And uh, after that, I briefly served as chief of staff for then Councilwoman Kate Gallego uh, before she had to resign to run for mayor. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, when she was gearing up to to make that uh, shift, um, I ended up having the opportunity to join Creosote as a partner, where I've been for a little over four years now, which is wild to think about sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, though. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the work you do now at Creosote? Yeah. so Creosote is a bit unique in that we are an entirely values-based lobbying firm. Um, we only take on clients who are working on causes we believe in uh, and that we think will make a measurable difference to improve our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that really means we work with a lot of nonprofits uh, and a, a lot of left nonprofits. But we're always, uh, you know, building weird coalitions, you know, especially in areas like criminal justice reform, where you have everything from like the Quakers to the Cokes uh, uh, working together on it. Right. Um, and so it's it's really interesting. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I still get to do education policy work, but get to uh, experience a lot of other issues that I'm passionate and interested in. Um, you know, and I get to run my mouth on Twitter whenever I feel like because I'm my own boss. So yeah, that's <laughs> pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. Highly recommend it. <laughs> you mentioned working for Kate Gallego when mm-hmm. she was still a council member. Um, so what I'm assuming is that when you came back from the the program out of state, did you move to Phoenix at the time, or had you already been? In Phoenix before that? I actually, yeah, I, I moved to Phoenix uh, when I uh, moved back. It was the first time I had lived uh, in Phoenix uh, proper. Um, so that was around 2012, mid-2012. Uh, I lived for a, a few years next to Phoenix College. Um, and then after that, I was uh, lucky enough uh, to be one of a handful of millennials who was able to buy a home uh, thanks to a bunch of first-time home buyer programs. Um, and I now live... Uh, uh, on like by the state fairgrounds. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. 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 I recently made that move also oh, from the box yeah. <laughs> uh, to Uptown Phoenix. Oh, fun. And it's not really a culture shock, but there's definitely a lot of different opportunities mm-hmm. in terms of like what communities I can connect to, what bars I can go to, <laughs> um, which, you know, that was exciting for me. Um, is that something that was like a, a shift for you? Did Were you able to find new communities or opportunities when you moved to Phoenix? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I love the area I grew up in. Um, I, a lot of my friends are, are starting to move back uh, to that area, uh, which is uh, fun and exciting. Um, I, and I think, you know, as I said, we've seen a whole bunch of, of change uh, there. Um, not just politically, but certainly uh, in in that way as well. I remember a time when Tempe was Republican. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so I I still think that when I moved to Phoenix that there were a a bunch of opportunities to meet um, really unique people, to uh, get to – uh, experience community, you know, Melrose, you have Grandad, all of yeah. that. Um, and, you know, you get to dabble in that uh, when you're growing up in the East Valley for First Fridays and things like right. that. But, like, to uh, uh, to have access to that uh, all the time really is exciting and allows you to meet a lot of great people. Yeah. I think something I really noticed growing up in that area where we both grew up is one of the biggest changes was just the kind of nonstop expansion of the semiconductor Mm-hmm. Industry and now that's coming into North Phoenix, TSMC. Um, I think that's something that really changed the culture of that area. Probably sure. the politics of that area. For sure. Um, but replacing cows with computer chips is definitely a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you noticed that you were connected to at all, or just kind of on the periphery? For sure. Actually, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, was where Intel built their first, you know, headquarters building. My right, elementary yeah. school was across the street from it. Yeah. Um, so it, it was always an aspect of uh, uh, growing up out there. Um, and I, I, you know, watching that change. My, my dad actually moved to Arizona 
working for a, a chip company uh, oh, in the cool. 80s. Um, one of the first ones in, in Chandler. Um, and you what, know, what company was that? Oh, I, I, I forget the name. I think it was ST Microwave. It was something oh, like okay. that. It does That's not fun. exist anymore. There's all these <laughs> little companies that were there, and some of them have agglomerated into larger companies It now. definitely was one of the ones that, you know, uh, uh, got bought out uh, yeah. early on. Um, you know, and, and so, it, but it was, it was a, a big part of that change. Um, you know, uh, uh, you saw a lot of um, college-educated folks, a lot of uh, AAPI folks, um, right. you know, start to build out there, you know, uh, the stretch of Dobson Road and the Mekong Plaza. Now you have uh, yeah. a lot of um, uh, community buildup out there, um, and I, you know, I think it it really did uh, uh, cause a shift and uh, create uh, a really unique uh, uh, pocket within the valley. Um, and yeah, I think that change, you know, uh, is you're starting to see a lot of that in in the North Valley too. You know, uh, uh, it's no longer just endless suburban scape <laughs> there. <Right. laughs> um, you know, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what what that causes. And it, it brought a lot of people. I mean, it brought my mm -hmm. family to that area. It brought your family, it sounds like, mm -hmm. to that area. For um, sure. And I think there's a connection, uh, too, with education policy. Because, you know, one of the things all the, the chamber types like to say is, you know, oh, we, we don't have uh, the educated workforce that we need you know we're not developing that here we need more uh, uh, college attainment and it's true and important you know and I wish more business community leaders would understand the connection between that and you know paying their fair share in taxes to make sure the system is well resourced right uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know it, it is it is accurate you know I and I think so long as that's true so long as you know those type of companies uh, move here we're also going to be uh, a net importer of uh, uh, families that are able to fill those jobs. Right. You mentioned college attainment. Mm -hmm. I don't think I asked. Where did you go to college? Did you I, go to ASU? I went to U of A. Ah, U of Fair A. Down. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, growing up in the shadow of ASU, I had to get a, a little bit of a change. Well, still getting that sweet in-state tuition rate. Yeah. <laughs> well, Southern Arizona is is beautiful oh, too. How long were you down there? Uh, three and a half years, okay. I uh, was able to graduate early right into the Great Recession job market. Smart, smart move on my part. Um, but I, I really wanted to uh, avoid um, uh, higher education debt, you know, which I was lucky enough to do uh, in a unique experience for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I loved it down there. I love Tucson. And that's a place that's been really fascinating to watch change even, even from yeah, absolutely. You know, 10 years ago uh, in the downtown there. Uh, it, it, it's a, a beautiful place. Uh, some of my best friends still live down there and have built great lives down there. Um, and, you know, it is a place I would love to be able to, to live uh, uh, if uh, I could one day. <laughs> it's also 10 degrees cooler, which is really nice. <laughs> it is a different climate. Yeah. Um, did you stay politically active while you were in Tucson? I did. I did. I uh, was really, that, during that era, I was really involved with the uh, Young Democrats. Um, and I you know, was the statewide VP at one point, um, which was fun. Uh, and, 
you know, got got involved. I did, you know, canvassing for Gabby Giffords, and I, I kept involved in uh, uh, races. I actually was running a race, a legislative race, up in my home district, then LD20, uh, now LD18, becoming LD12. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, was running a house race then, back when it was, like, in that shifting from uh, red to blue phase. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my friend had to drop out when he was called back to duty uh, um, in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, uh, I I really in, enjoyed it. You know, it was hard because I was still trying to do it in, you know, both places, keeping connected to the Valley. I did internships up here because, of course, you know, if you want to be involved in uh, politics, That's you have to be in the capital. Yeah. Um, but I did, you know, make sure to be involved uh, in local stuff down there where I could, you know, uh, um, and build uh, uh, friendships and relationships down there, which I'm lucky to have today. That's so, great. Yeah. It seems like politics works kind of differently in Tucson, Southern Arizona. I know oh, even like Tucson, the city elections are just totally different. They're insane. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get involved in those too? Yes, yeah. Uh, I had uh, the unfortunate pleasure of, of being down there at the same time when Rodney Glassman was running for a city council. Um, <laughs> back when he was a Democrat in the start of his uh, every two-year campaign cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, but definitely was still uh, interest involved. You know, and that was when... Um, you know, Gabby Giffords uh, was first running, making that competitive yeah. district blue. Um, and, you know, uh, it was a really exciting time. Um, and there was uh, someone down there, her name was Francine Schachter, who was an octogenarian who had run uh, uh, in the primary against Gabby just to say what she wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, who became a, a great friend and mentor while I was down there. Just a lovely person. Oh, that's too. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I love those kind of uh, intergenerational or like, I don't want to, but like kind of massively intergenerational yeah. <laughs> uh, relationships. Is that something that you've found beneficial or something you've been able to Absolutely. do in general, like very far afield relationships? I think when we form friendships in school, there's all kinds of similarities we have. Mm-hmm. And that can be really powerful, but also sometimes like a, a little limiting in terms of expanding our our scope. But it sounds like you've been able to connect to people that have really different experiences. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I really uh, uh, value those uh, friendships and relationships. Uh, um, you know, some of my dearest friends are, you know, my parents' age or older. Uh, um, you know, I, a, a friend, friends, Dora and John, and another couple that is exactly like them, uh, and I love getting to spend time with them. Um, you know, uh, and I, I really value that perspective. I think it's uh, something that's super important that everybody should do. Um, they always keep me on my toes, uh, and I do the same for them. <laughs> that's great. Do you find those um, through work or just socially? Um, a little bit socially, you know, uh, and and through work, you know, politics and all that yeah. stuff. You, you know, I, I think. A thing everybody knows about politics is that sometimes it, it, it tends to skew older, um, right? Uh, so it's it's easier in that sense. But also, you know, um, when I first moved to Phoenix, uh, uh, 
and lived uh, in that area around Phoenix College. Uh, my neighbor across the street didn't know them, uh, but uh, now they're one of my closest friends, you know, uh, and uh, another person I know generational there. Um, and so that's uh, uh, been exciting. You know, sometimes you just run into people. A couple of our closest friends now, we met just through canvassing the neighborhood and oh, that's talking amazing. about stuff. So, yeah, it, you know, I think it's something about growing up in the area we did. You know, it's you get into your garage and then you walk into your house, you close the garage. Right, exactly. Really you never have to know your neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the areas I always lived in, you know, it's a lot of street parking or you have a driveway, but no enclosed garage and that yeah. kind of stuff. So uh, it encourages a little bit more of that, that interaction. You know, yeah. and then politics makes you knock on your neighbor's doors and talk to them and find out that, hey, you know, we like one another. <laughs> I love that even like a tiny difference in how a neighborhood is designed can change whether you know your neighbors, um, whether you're able to form friendships that you wouldn't otherwise form, and then how that influences politics and, and organizing um, we've kind of gotten to work together mm-hmm. at the Capitol yes. specifically and I think that can be a really challenging environment right now um, as queer people working at the Capitol yeah right yeah. even just sitting in a committee hearing and listening to someone like Kelly Townsend uh, work through how she feels about some kind of trans policy uh, it can get kind of taxing is that something that you feel or is it something that you're able to kind of take like a professional remove from to work through that that's that's a really good question um i have not perfected a way to completely remove myself from you know those personal emotions uh and it it does it gets it's challenging it's taxing and you know that definitely builds up over time Mm -hmm. um you know and frankly i i think we have seen a shift. We have seen more of it. Uh, each new legislature that comes in seems to bring bigger and more dramatic personalities uh, in a lot right. of ways. Um, and so it, it used to be very hard for me uh, yeah. uh, to separate that. Um, and, you know, in, in both a good and a bad way, I think mm-hmm. it, you know, it can push you uh, to kind of shut down and it can push you to um, only sort of feel and see the gray areas, right? right. Um, you know, that all there is is the the deal, right? Um, right. You know, and uh, uh, all there is is, you know, getting a win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to lose sight of, like, why you're down there, what drives you, yeah. um, you know, why you were doing it in the first place. And something I've noticed, too, is, you know, um, it... Uh, sometimes you you just kind of get numb to the things that they say. Uh, And, you know, when somebody fresh comes in and sees it and hears it, uh, they are absolutely shocked. And you, you know... uh, That's right. (laughs) um, Having to, you know, we do a lot of internships, things like that, having to prepare folks for just what you are going to hear, what it's going to be like, how, you know, how to process it, how to take time. Uh, It is... um, an interesting thing to, to reflect on. Uh, and, you know, it definitely has been a struggle. I've definitely, I had definitely developed bad coping mechanisms yeah. <laughs> that I've undone, you know, uh, and, you know, now uh, preach the value of uh, uh, therapy and, you know, 
closing the computer and going for a run or doing something to, to shut it yeah. off uh, for sure. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, you do have to find the, the space of just like, there, you know, I'm gonna do my part, I'm gonna do what I can, um, and they are gonna be who they are, and that's that. And uh, uh, it, if anybody figures out how to like find the right balance of staying, you know, perfectly passionate and uh, not going crazy, I would love to hear how they do it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't found it, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think for me growing up in that area, like you mentioned when Tempe was Republican, mm-hmm. right? I was around a lot of conservative politicians that spoke and thought like some of these more colorful characters mm-hmm. in the legislature today. And so that numbs me to a certain level when I go, like, well, I've been hearing this yeah. for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think fortunately for a lot of people, they, they don't have that. But something I find that's useful is it sometimes it lets me make a connection with maybe a Republican in the legislature who would otherwise be inaccessible to me because of the, the way they talk or the way Absolutely. they think. Yeah. Um, do you find that you're able to connect kind of across the aisle in your in your work at the legislature? And how do you make that work? For sure, yeah. I, I have been able to. I, I will say, you know, sometimes it is harder. Yeah. Um, I think something that's been very important to me is understanding the difference between intentional malice and mm. casual ignorance, I guess I will right. say. Um, some people just don't know better uh, and will listen when you um, try to share with them why what they are doing is, is bad. You know, they m- may not internalize all of it, but, you know, they'll uh, uh, treat you with, you know, respect and decency. Um, and, you know, that's important. Uh, and then there are people that are just cruel for the, its own sake. Um, right. And uh, so I um, have found that I can work with folks, and I can work with folks, you know, uh, uh, who um, may be terrible on something that I'm really passionate about, right. uh, so long as we share a a common value somewhere else um and i can be loud and aggressive and towards them and tell them how wrong they are and how what they're doing is terrible and hurtful on one issue Mm -hmm. and then on another issue be like okay but we're on you know the same page here and this is why um you know and i think uh in the same way that um you know sometimes we want people to talk to us in the language language that's uh, accessible to us, you know, they want the same um, in figuring out how to uh, um, put things in, you know, their values frame uh, right. is uh, important. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it is doable. Uh, and, uh, you know, then you can, it, it makes it a little bit easier to tell them, you know, hey, what you're doing is wrong and bad. <laughs> right. Um, and I know. think that's a real relationship yeah. where it's, we can work on this, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to shut up about this other stuff. Yeah. Having that ability to really push on that and really actually find a partnership on Absolutely. an issue like criminal justice reform, um, where there is more commonality, uh, I think 
that's just a really powerful way to approach um, and a really genuine way to approach that kind of work. Absolutely. And I, I think um, for me, I always try to hold on to a, a sort of guiding light and philosophy of, you know, is what I'm doing here helping to provide power to people who don't usually have access to it? Yeah. Right. And am I, I, I helping to democratize access to power in that way? Um, and if it, it is like I can work with uh, whoever I need to to accomplish that, um, and you know I will be uh, a, aggressive with Democrats who I think are going the wrong way on it, and I'll, and I'll certainly be aggressive with Republicans. Um, and I think you know, frankly, they are uh, uh, they it it allows more doors to be open with me for me because you know. Sometimes with other lobbyists, you never exactly know where where they're coming from or you know what they believe in. They're you know uh, maybe doing you know may feel they're just in it for the paycheck. Right. Uh, so it but, helps that they can also see you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. They know I'm coming at it honestly. Right. right. Like, and that they know the perspective I'm I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, and if they're willing to uh, work with me, they're willing to work with me, and they they know you know I'm not gonna. BS them just because, uh, because you know, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, thanks so much for recording this with me. Of course. Hope we get to talk more soon. Yeah. And we'll be back with another episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to each new episode, you can follow the podcast in the podcast player of your choice. On our website, you can sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast, but there's a lot of ways to get involved with the work of Equality Arizona. So check out equalityarizona.org for our voter guide, events calendar, volunteer opportunities, and more.